Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. I remember my dad never made a lot of money. He was a career post office worker, you know, living off of a pension right now. And I remember him telling me multiple times that, you know, if I wanted to make money, I needed to learn how to do it. He's like, I can't teach you. That's one thing I cannot teach you is how to make money because I never cracked that nut. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. I'm your host, Kent Ritter, and today my guest is Brian Briscoe. Brian is a founding member of the investing firm Four Oaks Capital. He's host of the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast and an active duty lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Marines. And I'm very excited to have Brian on today. We've made fast friends over LinkedIn over the past few months and you know, really enjoyed the content that he's putting out and excited to have him here to talk to us today about, about him and his group and how they invest. So with that, yeah. Hey, Kent, thanks a lot for having me on the show. And, you know, I echo the sentiment towards you. You've got some great content out there. You know, I've listened to several episodes of the podcast when it came out, you know, really like what you guys are doing. And, you know, I think I should be interviewing you on, on a podcast instead of the other way around. So here we go. We'll do that yeah, soon too. Definitely. That'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, I'd like to start with just giving our listeners an understanding of, of your background. You know, what's your story? How did you come to real estate? And, and we'll just go from there. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned in the bio, you know, I've been 19 years in the, in the Marine Corps and, you know, I didn't intend on making the Marine Corps a career. You know, if you had told me 20 years ago that I'd be a year from retirement, you know, I would have laughed at you, to be honest with you. But, you know, I got into the Marine Corps. I had ambitions prior to that of being a college professor, you know. So I got in the Marine Corps right after September 11th and basically started looking at, you know, finances. I remember my dad never made a lot of money. He was a career post office worker, you know, living off of a pension right now. And I remember him telling me multiple times that, you know, if I wanted to make money, I needed to learn how to do it. He's like, I can't teach you. That's one thing I cannot teach you is how to make money because I never cracked that nut. So I remember as, you know, a 25-year-old, you know, guy stationed in Okinawa, Japan, reading a lot of books about money, about real estate and things like that. And like everybody says, you know, very cliche, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? So I started thinking, okay, what can I do to start growing that passive income? What can I do to start purchasing assets? 
you know, and I realized as long as I'm in the military, I'm going to move every two to three years, you know, so every time I move, I'm going to buy a single family house. So picked up a handful of single family homes, you know, when and where it made sense over several years and, you know, saw those houses appreciate, you know, quite a bit in that time and kind of caught sight of what real estate could potentially do. Got into, you know, several deployments, you know, and kind of lost focus on the real estate aspect. But about two to three years ago, you know, I was on another deployment and I had a lot of time to think. And I realized for the first time, I really saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I had always planned on using real estate as something to augment my military pension and be able to be financially free. And I realized that I was still way far away from that. So started looking at ideas, you know, how can I ramp this up? You know, so two degrees in math, I'm pretty good at spreadsheets. I started spreadsheeting. I'm like, okay, single family homes. Let's say I buy one per year. How long is it going to take me to make X amount of passive income? Oh my gosh, that's way too long. All right, <laughs> two single family houses a year. How long is it going to take me to make X amount of passive income? Wow, that's still way too long. Okay, three single family, you know, and I realized really quickly that, you know, it was going to take forever using the single family house model or I'd have to do 10 to 20 a year. So I started looking at other things and, you know, lo and behold, I pick up a book by, you know, it was Brandon Turner, Bigger Pockets book about, you know, buying a 24 unit. And I'm like, you know what? That is something that I could do. That is something that I can work at. And, you know, from that moment on, every time I was at the gym, I was listening to, you know, a Michael Blanc or a Rod Clee for a, you know, a Joe Fairless podcast, you know, and on the way to and from work, I was listening to podcasts, you know, every time I bought a book, it was about real estate, multifamily in, in general. So got into Michael Blanc coaching program. And, you know, I would say that's a, a really solid program. I had a really cool mentor that walked me through a lot of the processes. And, you know, along the way, I met some great people, you know, Eric Shirley, Brian Mallon, Todd Butler, you know, so the four of us are comprise Four Oaks Capital, which is our, our company. And we've we now have four apartment communities, total of 168 units under our belt. Oh, that's great. And congratulations. And first and foremost, 19 years in the military that, I mean, congratulations and thank you for your service. That, I mean, it's impressive. That's a big thing to, to join, especially after 9-11 yeah, at, at that, that moment in time. So absolutely. Yeah. And real estate wise, I mean, that's impressive. So you've gone down this path, you your eyes open to that the single family method wasn't going to get you there. That led you to multifamily. You educated yourself. I think you did a couple of key points that I like to call out. You spent the time to educate yourself and you did your own education with the podcast and the books. And then you found a mentor Mm -hmm. in the Michael Blanc program. And that I'm sure accelerated your growth and got you to where you got to the point where you felt confident enough to go out and actually start buying multifamily and larger multifamily, right? You found the right partners through that and, and that's gotten you to where you are today. So, I mean, very impressive. So, what was it that, I guess, what was it as you were looking at multifamily? I mean, we talked about just the being able to buy more units, but what was it about that verse? you know, maybe it was office or, or industrial mm-hmm. or self-storage? What led you to multifamily in particular? So, first of all, everybody needs a place to live. I mean, there's a basic human need. You know, I took a psychology class in college and I hated most of it, but one thing that I really latched onto was like the Maslow's hierarchy, you know, mm-hmm. where you yep. have some very basic needs that have to be met. And shelter is one of those basic needs. You know, everybody needs shelter. Everybody needs a place to live, you know? So when you look at retail, you know, 20, 30 years ago, Walmart crushed Main Street. You know, you used to have all the Main Street shops. Walmart came in, actually it was a little longer than 30 years ago, but came in and just, you know, Main Street died out. 
mm-hmm. you know, and then there was another big disruptor, you know, Amazon came in and disrupted the industry, you know, so retail, I think, you know, every 10 to 15 years or even less, there's some big disruption to how things happen. Industrial, you know, goes on ways, but I think multifamily is the steadiest out of all of them, just because everybody needs somewhere to live, you know, and mm-hmm. the other thing that I like over the single family is it's commercial real estate. So it's the values based on cold, hard numbers and not sentiment. You know, it's not like 2004 to 2007 where, you know, real estate caught fire for no real reason besides people wanted to buy, you know, people wanted to buy and take part of the action. That doesn't happen in commercial real estate. So I think it's steady and it's something that everybody needs. So there's always going to be a supply and demand. You know, there's always going to be high demand for the assets and, you know, if you purchase right, if you find areas of the of the nation that are growing, both in population and economy, it's going to be a very solid investment for, for years to come. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Yeah. And so at Four Oaks Capital, tell us a little bit about your strategy. You know, so you're in multifamily, but where are you buying? What are you buying and why? So first question I'll answer is the where. We like the Carolinas. The area we like the best out of the Carolinas is upstate South Carolina, you know, and a lot of people, you're probably not, you know, a lot of people who, who've never been to the Southeast probably aren't familiar with it, but you have a big city, Charlotte on one side, you have Atlanta and Georgia on the other side, right? And both these cities, every time you see a top 10 list of, you know, what economies are doing the best, what cities are growing the fastest, Atlanta and Charlotte are almost always both on every single list, no matter what metric you use, you know, so there's a freeway, I-85, between the two cities, and it goes through South Carolina. So that part of upstate South Carolina, everything that is making Charlotte and Atlanta grow mm-hmm. is also making upstate South Carolina grow. You know, you've got a lot of money that's going from north to south. You know, I think demographically in the nation, you've got money going from California inward, and you've got money from New England going south, you know. But in general, it's, you know, coastal inward and, you know, on the East Coast side, it's from north to south, but all of the southern states are benefiting from all these high cost of living places. People are leaving the high cost of living places. They're leaving the big cities and trying to find, you know, a little more bang for your buck. You know, in South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, you know, east of the Mississippi are the states that are growing the fastest. So that's why we like the area. Also, you know, it's South Carolina. There's not a city over a million in South Carolina. So it doesn't have a lot of focus. There's a lot of people who are looking in Charlotte. There's a lot of people who are looking in Atlanta because they're big cities. So most of South Carolina, it's a secondary market. So there's actually a little less competition there. You have the exact same dynamics that are fueling growth in Charlotte and Atlanta, a little less competition. We can still get pretty good deals. So what we're looking for, just like most other syndicators, we're looking for the traditional value add. You know, one of the properties we purchased had, you know, a little bit of hair on it, so to speak. You know, we bought the property at 60% occupancy and, you know, we're, we're going through the process of renovating it and bringing it up to 100% occupancy. You know, we bought another property that was an 80 unit. I mean, by the books, it was an 80 unit, but eight units were down. Absolutely unrentable. Some of them taken down to the studs, you know, no sinks, no, no air handlers, no ACs, anything. So, you know, we're taking that one and we're renovating, we're bringing those eight units up to rentable. And then we're renovating the rest of the apartment building with it. So everything we're looking for has some sort of forced appreciation, some sort of value add component on it where, you know, we don't have to, 
rely on markets going up. You know, we can come in and improve the occupancy, improve the asset, and bring in more money. So our plan isn't so much focused on, you know, the rising tide. You know, our plan is focused on find an asset where, you know, even if the tide isn't rising, we can still force some appreciation. And then if we get the extra appreciation from the rising tide in the coming years, you know, even better. So mm-hmm. that's the general philosophy. As far as unit size right now, we started somewhat small. I mean, our smallest, smallest in our portfolio is a 16 unit. You know, the largest is an 80. And, you know, we're progressively getting larger as we scale. You know, we didn't want to go from, you know, zero to 500 units just because that's a huge jump. Mm-hmm. You know, so we started small and we're progressively getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, next one, you know, we're looking for something triple digits unit count now. Gotcha. So it sounds like the theme is you guys are willing to buck the trend a little bit. You're upstate South Carolina. You don't hear a lot of people focused on that, like you said, but you're going there because there's relative values and, and the competition is less, right? Right. And to add to that, you're, you're willing to take on deals with a little more hair on them, right? Than just a stabilized property. So you guys are, are going where, where others aren't and you're taking deals that, that others don't want. And because of that, you're able to provide a significant value, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I think it's a solid philosophy, solid plan. And demographically, the numbers back, you know, when you look now, I mean, COVID's changed things a little bit as far as, you know, announcements, but, you know, upstate South Carolina, you know, I was getting automated emails from a website every time, you know, new jobs were created or new companies were coming down. And it was a daily basis where a company would say, we're bringing a billion dollars worth of investment into the city. We're going to build X and Y, and we're going to employ this many hundreds of people. And, you know, every day we were getting similar announcements, you know, whether it was, you know, hundreds of millions or into the billions of dollars of investment going in there. You know, like I said, there's a lot of dynamics down there that are very conducive to more people in that area, which creates the supply and demand problem. And honestly, I think COVID's going to kind of make that supply and demand problem, you know, a little more imbalanced because a lot of developers just stopped in their tracks, you know, so you still have people who are looking for homes. And once the economy gets it back on track, I think the supply and demand problem is going to be even more imbalanced where there's even less supply for higher demand. So end of the day, I think, yeah, it's a little bit off the beaten path for what most people do, but we're still operating in an MSA that's got roughly a million people. Gotcha. So as the listeners look to vet sponsors and they look to vet deals and make investments, what are some of the things from your experience that you can tell our investors to help them make better investing decisions? You know, I have a lot of people that, you know, call us and talk to us about things. And I think the investors should focus more on the partners than on the actual deal, you know? And the philosophy is like this. If you're going with people who have a very solid track record and who put their investors first, then they're going to be very selective on the deals that they put under contract. So, you know, I have a couple of guys who have called me on every deal that we've had and been, you know, just going over numbers and wait, you're modeling rent increases right here. Why is that? And they're going line by line down our pro forma and saying, hey, can you verify this? And personally, I think that's not the right approach in investing. You know, I can put numbers on a spreadsheet. You know, anybody can put numbers on a spreadsheet. Anybody can put numbers on a pro forma. But I think really what you should be focusing on is the partnership. You know, 
can you trust the partners? Do they have a track record? Do they have enough experience to be able to perform in what they're saying they're going to perform? So that's probably number one is, you know, look at people who are offering more than you look at the actual deal itself. The deal has got to make sense for you. I mean, if you're looking for cash flow and the deal is not a cash flow deal, you know, you also have to look at that. But yeah, number one, look at the people and then look at the deal. Yeah, I think that's great advice. It's advice I've given multiple times on this show. So I always love when I hear people echo that because, I mean, you're right. It's a, a bad sponsor can kill a good deal, right? So I think it does start there. As you get into the deals though, I mean, what are you guys seeing as you're underwriting? What are the things that you're focused on? What are, I mean, what are any red flags that you can give our investors advice on things to look out for as they are looking at the numbers? Because you, you do want to start with a sponsor, but eventually you've got to get to the market and the deal, right? So can you help them understand a little bit about how you're looking at things? Yeah, I think you need to make sure that I say number one, you know, a sponsorship that runs out of cash is going to be in a world of hurt. So make sure they have a substantial, you know, if it's a value add, make sure they have a substantial capital expense budget and make sure they have a substantial reserve fund, you know? So I think the industry average is probably, you know, two months worth of expenses, one month's income in reserves. You know, during COVID, you might want to ask, you know, hey, what's, what do you have in reserves and how long can that last? You know, make sure they've done the numbers on that one. I think right now, you know, the question that I'm getting asked a lot is what about COVID? You know, so ask them about a break-even occupancy number on that one. And I think that really helps. You know, we look at our break-even occupancy and, you know, for a deal that we're running right now, it's mid-60s, you know, so we could take vacancy, you know, we don't plan on it. But if things got really bad and economic vacancy went down to 65%, we are still paying our bills, you know, so, and that is before we dive into our reserves. So, Look at break-even occupancy point right now. Look at reserves and look at the CapEx budget. I was sent a pro forma by, by a group of people that I've met and know pretty well. And they had, you know, 120 units. You know, I don't remember how many units in the property, but it was a hundred and something unit property. And their CapEx budget, it was a value-add play where they were going to renovate every unit. They were going to redo the roofs and the siding and the asphalt. And their overall capital expense budget was like four fifty, five hundred thousand. You know, I started scratching my head, and I'm just, mm-hmm. how doesn't, are you going to do all of that? Doesn't sound like enough, does it? Yeah, I mean, they were probably you know fifty percent short of their goals. So they had half the amount they probably needed to do the job they wanted to do. So, I would say, you know, look, make sure that they have reserves and make sure they have adequate capital expenses, and that's probably first and foremost what you want to be looking at. And then after that, you can get into the rent bumps and everything else. But I think the worst thing to happen to operators right now, uh, especially in a COVID environment, is running out of money. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And what you're talking about is managing the downside risk, right? Like nothing that you just said is was talking about the upside and what it could be with in the sunshine and rainbow world, right? You're you're talking about understanding how do you manage the downside risk. And I think in the COVID environment, I think that is extremely good advice, extremely practical. So. Appreciate your perspective there. You know, knowing that you guys are operating in the Southeast and understanding just the COVID environment now and kind of that where the hotspots are. I mean, how are you, what are you seeing down there as the impact? Have you seen a collections impact in the Southeast? And how are you, are you doing anything different to prepare going forward? Yeah. So collections have been strong. You know, we've gotten pretty close, you know, to what we were getting prior to on collections. You know, every once in a while we have a tenant 
who are putting on a payment plan right now. So, you know, the eviction moratorium just ended and we're still going to work with people. You know, we're not going to send out eviction notices, you know, as soon as we can. But what we are seeing is the turn times have gotten a lot longer, you know, so the rental market, the leasing market is basically dead as far as where it should be in the summer months, you know, so I think what really hurt our bottom line is, you know, we're getting all the collections, but when people move out and in most apartment communities, May, June, July are the big months for lease activities. And they're also the big months when people move out as well, because that's where all the 12 month leases end. So we had a lot of people move out in May, a lot of people move out in June, a lot of people move out in July, and it's taking us longer to fill the units just because the leasing activity is low. So we did have to offer some concessions on some of our properties, you know, half months off, first month's rent, things like that. And overall, you know, where we've taken the hit, and this is two out of our four properties, it's just we have a higher vacancy rate than we anticipated. And, you know, it's nothing that we could have foresaw, but you know, these two properties are break even points in the low 70s. And right now we're in the high 80s, you know, as far as occupancy. So we want to be low 90s on this property, at least low 90s. But, you know, we're about 87%, 88% occupancy on these two properties. So that's really where how COVID has affected us. Collections are there. I mean, people who are in place are still paying rent. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're not getting the leads that you would typically get? Or is it the people that are there just, just aren't qualified? So we're still getting a fair amount of leads. The number of leads has dropped, you know, compared to, you know, other years at the same time. So there aren't as many leads. And, you know, our property manager is telling us that the leads are very more apprehensive. You know, they're asking a lot of questions, a lot more questions than normal. And that the close rate is a lot lower. And, you know, we have one property manager that, you know, has thousands and thousands of units across the Southeast. And and he's saying that the trend is that the leasing activity is slow. So, you know, that's basically where we're at. I mean, fewer people looking and, you know, when they're looking, they're just being a little more selective and a little more cautious on signing leases. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's good perspective. To take it back for from an investor standpoint, I would say, I think the thing I would take away from an advice standpoint is as you're looking at a deal, talking with a sponsor, understand what their leasing practices are, understand you know what they're doing to generate leads, understand what they're doing to vet those leads and how they're driving that customer experience through the process. So I think that's a good takeaway for our investors there. As we move into the end of the show, we've got a section that we do called Keys to Success. And so, Brian, I'd like to ask you a few questions to understand a little bit about how you've gotten to where you are and had the success that you've been able to have. So the first question is, for our investors, what's the one question every passive investor should ask their deal sponsor? I think the question should start out with, what if? You know, just like we were talking about managing the downside risk, you know, what if? You know, whatever your biggest concern is, you know, what if this happens? You know, what if you're not able to collect during COVID? What if you're not able to get the occupancy you want because of COVID? You know, what if you're not able to sell, you know, two or three years from now, you know, at the price that you want to sell? So I think a lot of what if questions need to come out just so you make sure the operators have thought about it and have done something to mitigate those risks. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. It goes back to the sensitivity analysis you were talking about, right? Looking Mm -hmm. at break-even occupancy, looking at what happens if cap rates aren't at where you want them to be at when you sell, 
right? If they're higher and looking at how things change as these things shift. So excellent advice. What are you most proud of in your career? So right now, I mean, I am proud of my 20 year military career, but I'm at the transition phase. So talk about my multifamily career. I am proud of Four Oaks Capital. You know, I've got three amazing partners. They're wonderful people. They're all about, they're all true professionals. They were very good in the fields that came from outside of real estate. And I think we make a great team and I'm happy to be part of it and excited for where we're going here in the future. And what book should everyone read? So my favorite book all time, you know, and I'm a religious person. So I would say the book of Mormon, but I know this is a real estate podcast. So what I'm going to say is I would say rich dad, poor dad was fundamental to me. I think seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey was one of those transformational books. And, you know, after that, I think there's a lot of other books. I would say, you know, number three would be The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. I said between the, those three books, those are probably the books that have had the large impact on me and how I think. So a, a curveball, but a question I just thought of about those books. What was the big takeaway from one of those books that really stuck out to you? So the Stephen Covey book, there are many, many, many takeaways. But I think the biggest thing with the Stephen Covey book is you know, the seven habits, it's not earth shattering, but it's just things that they all make sense. It's things that, you know, if you do everything and you start doing them in order, it's going to make a world of difference. So very small changes in how you do things can lead to, you know, phenomenal outcomes. So just the, you know, one of the habits is beginning with the end in mind, you know, make sure you have a plan, make sure you know where you're going. You know, so map that out, decide what you want to be and work towards it. You know, one of the other habits is put first things first, you know, and a lot of people don't do that. You know, he's got like this little quadrant idea of urgent and important, you know, work on things that are important. You know, every once in a while you have to, you know, go into category three tasks, which are the urgent, not important tasks. But, you know, he focuses on, you know, making sure all of your activities are important and that you're less reactive and more proactive. And proactive is another one of his habits. Be proactive in getting towards those goals. So I think he breaks everything down into a framework that's very understandable and very executable. And just a lot of little pearls in there that keep on coming to my mind over and over and over again. You know, I've read the book and I've got on Audible. I've probably listened to that book 20 times. And that's one there. The Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant series just really changed my mind on how to look at money. You know, like I said, I grew up in a household, you know, I thought we were poor. Turns out we weren't, you know, we had food on the table, you know, we never had to worry about, you know, being kicked out of the house or anything. So I had shelter, I had food, I had clothes, I had everything that I needed growing up. But, you know, I think I had the poor dad mentality on money and Rich Dad, Poor Dad made me look at things a little different and realize that once again, small changes in my mindset could actually reap a phenomenal reward over the years. That's great. Thank you. And then lastly, what's your number one key to success? I would say just taking action. You know, I think that there's a lot of people that get stuck in this, you know, analysis paralysis, they call it. You know, I think you just need to, you know, learn enough to where you can just take a step. You know, one analogy that I like is, you know, carrying a lantern through, you know, a dark forest. You know, if you're stationary, you know, your lantern only sees five or eight steps out, but you know, that's enough to take two or three steps. You know, you take two or three steps and 
now all of a sudden you can see two or three steps further, you know? So mm-hmm. just one of those things, you know, get to a point to where you can see the next three or four steps clearly and then take two. And then you're at a point now where you can see once again, the next three to four steps very clearly and you just take the next step every time. So I would say just learn and then immediately put things into practice. I like that. Well, thank you so much, Brian. That's uh, great advice. And how can our guests get a hold of you if they want to reach out and learn more? So I think the best way, you know, we have a podcast, Diary of an Apartment Investor. You mentioned that up front. It's available on you know, all podcast apps. So that's one way through the podcast. And then number two, email, you know, Brian Briscoe at fouroakscapital.com or our website, fouroakscapital.com. Pretty simple. That's great. And I've personally listened to Brian's podcast and I will recommend it. So I suggest you guys go out and give it a listen. It's got a unique format. He brings on an experienced investor and a newbie investor. And the dialogue that goes back and forth is interesting and also pretty entertaining sometimes. So I think it's a great format. It's unique. Here's one of the unintended consequences. I had one of the experienced investors email me about 10 days ago and say, I really like the guy that you paired me up with and we are looking for ways to partner. You know, oh, very so, cool. you know, I thought it'd be a good idea for a podcast, but you know, there's a lot of connections that are being made. And I've had a couple other examples, you know, very similar where, you know, the experienced and aspiring investors, you know, are building relationships and carrying it on past the podcast. So another aspiring investor emailed me and said, Hey, he gave me, you know, he opened up his Rolodex, so to speak. And I have four or five people that he's introduced me to. They're just amazing people. So what I'm most excited about is really helping people. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You're creating a great network there. You're providing a ton of value to people. So, uh, you know, yeah, you never know when you start something, right? You said, take a couple steps and you never know where it's going to go. So that's a great example of that. Well, thanks, Brian. Appreciate you so much for coming on the show. It was a great content. I think really valuable for our investors. And like I said, folks, go out and listen. And with that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you again. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.